0: I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning for the message of God's Word. And we're gonna be in the book of John, chapter three. John chapter three. You turn there for a moment and uh, just read a few verses. This is a familiar passage, uh, I think to most Christians here, but a a very important passage as we're gonna look about. We're gonna be talking this morning about a new life in Christ. What does it mean to have a new life in Christ? Something very, very important. So John chapter three, and I know we've been standing a lot today, but I think out of respect for God's word, let's all stand. We're going to read just a couple, a quick verses. And I want us to start in a verse. Uh, let's start in verse one. We're going to read just a few verses here and there. So just follow along uh, as I read. So John chapter three. It says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And let's skip down to verse number 14. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And this one we probably know by heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Again, this is a familiar passage of Scripture here, but I want us to kind of look at this from maybe a different perspective, talking about a new life in Christ. What does it mean to have a new life in Christ? This is something maybe... uh, We forget about, or maybe something new to us. But I want us to draw our attention, especially as we think of the 4th of July weekend. One of the greatest symbols of new life in America is a statue called Liberty Enlightening the World. Has anyone ever seen that before, that statue? Liberty Enlightening the World? Some of you might know what I'm talking about because the actual name, you probably know it better simply as the Statue of Liberty. There we go. Did you know it had an actual official name? I didn't until I studied it, kind of interesting, it's like I said, it's better known as the Statue of Liberty, which sits in the New York Harbor, this was a gift, if you know anything about the history of it, it was a gift from the people of France uh, to the United States for its centennial in 1876, okay, I won't ask you how many were around during that time, but that's okay, that's a long time ago, uh, by the way, quick quiz, quick quiz, quick, quick quiz, say that five times fast, little question, trivia question, there we go, that's better, who was the one who was the architect, the designer for the Eiffel? Or, I mean, I already gave it away for the Statue of Liberty, Eiffel. There we go. All right, at least you're listening, right? So yes, it was Mr. Eiffel, same one who built the Eiffel Tower to the same as Statue of Liberty. Like I said, it was for the centennial in 1876. However, only the right hand holding the iconic torch was ready, and so. Ten years later, after the construction was finished, the Statue of Liberty was completed and then dedicated on October 28th of 1886. Today, it's recognized as a universal symbol of freedom and democracy. For many immigrants who sailed to Ellis Island, especially in the latter half of the 19th century, early 20th century, uh, today... Uh, This is considered, like I said, a symbol of of freedom uh, and really a new life in a new world. For them, for these immigrants, it was a fresh breath in America, and this was the sweet land of liberty. I think it's interesting when my my ancestors, my forefathers, a few generations ago, they immigrated from Norway and uh, some from Sweden, but mostly from Norway— and at that time, they didn't come through Ellis Island because it wasn't there yet. Uh, they came through Castle Garden. That was the immigration standpoint at that time. And then they eventually made their way to uh, Minnesota and the Dakotas. Uh, my uh, great grandmother, she actually grew up in a sod house uh, in South Dakota, just south of Pier. Okay, so you think of like the little house in the prairie. That was my great grandmother. That was how she lived and all that. And then eventually they got a a log home. They got it as a part of the Homestead Act. But enough about my story, uh, my family story. I think it's interesting that most of us here, I could say, we're probably descendants of immigrants who, at one point or another, our, our family members have come from one part of the world to the United States to call it, uh, America home. Some are more recent. Um, a dear friend of ours, just a couple years ago, uh, uh, married an American and she became a, a U.S. citizen. And that was just a proud moment of, for that. Um, Just another little tangent. When uh, the Durants were here, they're a Filipino family, and they said a couple times, I don't know if you picked it up, but they said how how much they love the United States, how much they wish they could be here. I mean, everything they would ever dream of is provided. In the Philippines, I mean, you don't live with all those resources per se. And they said, but we want to go where God wants us to live, and that's in the Philippines. So a kind of interesting perspective when you think of that. Indeed, there is much to be thankful as Americans. And to live in this country, to have that privilege, uh, we should definitely remember that and to count our blessings. But like I said, it's a blessing to live in this land and enjoy the wealth of blessings that God has given the United States of America. But I want to challenge us that in a greater way, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, the Messiah, they receive even far greater blessings. I want to tell you another story of another immigrant. This is back in the early 1900s, and that was a man by the name of Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse. I've told you his story off and on through the years. Dr. Jacob Gardenhouse was the founder of International Board of Jewish Missions. It's the mission agency that our, my wife and I have been a part of for many, many years. In Dr. Gardenhouse, he was born in a humble village in Austria to an Orthodox Jewish home. He was trained to be a rabbi. However, his life would be forever changed when he immigrated to the United States. Jacob came to the shores expecting to find fame and fortune, but he found something far better than gold. Actually, he said this, when I came to New York City, I was expecting to find streets of gold. He says, I barely found any silver. That was kind of his expectation. But anyways, like I said, he found something far better than gold because why? His older brother had come uh, a little bit earlier to the United States, and through a series of events, he had placed his faith in Jesus as the Messiah through his own personal study of the Bible, the Hebrew Scriptures. And this was largely in part to his brother Zeb's life that Jacob's eyes were opened to the truth about Jesus from the Bible. Well, one day a miracle occurred when he Jacob himself understood who Jesus truly was and trusted in Jesus as his Messiah. In an instant, Jacob's life was changed, and he cried out to those around him, I have found him! I have found him! I found the Messiah! The crowd around him despised his newfound faith, and they beat him up. <laughs> that was his entrance into his work in ministry. But Dr. Gartenhouse said this after he was saved. He said, if this Jesus were the one, I wanted God to reveal him to me, and I vowed to live for him, and if necessary, to die for him. His new life in Jesus changed him completely inside and out. He was a man who then was devoted to God. Although he was regarded as a traitor by his people, by the Jewish people, he became a treasure to Jesus Christ. His faith in Christ was his greatest treasure. He faced great opposition from his family and from his friends, losing his home and even position. You know this, that uh, when his family heard that he became a believer in Jesus, they actually traveled to where he was a student. He was in Kentucky in Louisville at that time. Uh, But anyways, they actually offered him a great sum of money, a high-paying job, a new set of clothes, about anything he could have dreamed of, they offered to him. And he turned that down. He says, no, I feel I need to obey the, the Lord in his call of his life. But like I said, he never wavered from his faith in Jesus, even though he lost so much in his life. His testimony is challenge for each of us who trust in Jesus. Yes, he came to the United States and became an American. Uh, he said, I am, I'm a Jew and Austrian by birth, uh, American by the grace of God, and also uh, a Christian and believing in Jesus whose life has been changed and you'll find as dr gardenhouse did that when you find that new life in christ it changes everything when you have that new life in christ your life is forever changed when you meet jesus i want to emphasize that it is so true your life is never the same and here we have in the book of john i want us to look at it and focus our attention now to this book here in john chapter 3 and we're going to see a man who had a great need for a new life whether he realized it or not. There was a man, he says in verse 1 of chapter 3 here, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who was a ruler of the Jews. The Pharisees were, uh who lived among the people, they kind of ruled the different synagogues in the area of life. And uh, he became a ruler of the Jews. He was a very important man. And he noticed this, that he came to Jesus by night and he asked some questions for him. He had heard of Jesus, maybe even from a distance, he even heard Jesus' teachings. But he wanted to find out, for himself who Jesus was. He says in verse 2 he says the came same came to Jesus by night and says rabbi we know that thou art a teacher come from God no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus had already performed some miracles. People were witnessing this. What do we do with this? So this is very very important. As as he notices this, who are you Jesus? This kind of reminds me I heard a couple years ago a story of a uh, of a young man who uh, who became a believer in Jesus, he was a Jewish man, and he actually was going to, believe it or not, a private Christian school uh, in New York, and uh, he would, from his Christian classmates, uh, he would ask them questions about Jesus, and then he would go over next door to the rabbi, to the synagogue, and talk to the rabbi about, who is this Jesus? And of course, they're getting conflicting uh, reports of who this Jesus is. And after a period of actually several months, even a year at this point, he kind of realized himself, instead of asking other people who Jesus is, maybe I should just ask Jesus himself. I think that's something very important. A lot of people try to get their information about God or information about Jesus from other sources. They look in books or they see or hear some type of teacher or speaker about it. But a lot of times they forget to go to the very source of who Jesus is. Where do we find it? Where do we find who Jesus is? It's in the word of God. And so this is our challenge today. Maybe we should ask Jesus himself, who are you? How do we know who God is? And Jesus answers this in verse three. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily, or this is the truth. I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. A lot of times we try to get to God in our own means, in our own ways. And the thing is this, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is pretty strategic. There's a lot of people who try to get to God or get to heaven on their own merit. Man, I've for example, I've gone to Bible college or I've gone to a seminary. I've been to church all my life. I was I did this, I gave to this group, I gave to that group. I did all these I've tried to live the best life I possibly could. They try to create all these different levels of, hey, I've done all these good things to get to heaven or get to God. And like I said, a lot of people, there's all kinds of religions and groups out there that are trying to do the exact same thing. In their own way, they're trying to get themselves in God's favor. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus himself, what does Jesus himself say about that? Is that Jesus' uh, requirement? Here's the thing. We cannot enter heaven in our current condition. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The word that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God literally means the word sin is to miss the mark. How many have ever tried to shoot a bow and arrow before? How many are really, how many, maybe they used to be really good at I was never good at it okay but so many times when I would try to I remember going to camp when I was young and we would have bow and arrow and archery things like that and I'm aiming there trying to shoot it I think maybe out of the, several times I tried I could never really hit the mark well I definitely couldn't hit the bullseye folks I'm not I'm, unless I was like three feet away maybe then I could do it I'm just not that talented okay some people are but here's the thing in our own life in our own condition It's like shooting that bow and arrow, trying to hit that mark. In our own strength, and our own merit, there's no way we can. Because why? The way that we come to God can't be on our means, it's on God's means. As we see here, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again? Another word we use is regeneration, to come alive. This is something that only God can do. How do we know that? Because look at what Nicodemus says in verse 4. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter the second time and his mother wouldn't be born? We're not talking about physically being born again. I mean, if I had to do that, my mom would have a nightmare, okay? (laughs) It'd be terrible, all right? But here's the deal. This is talking about a spiritual birth. The the work that comes from within. So I like what, this is what Charles Ryrie, he's a, uh, a Christian commentator, he's with the Lord now, but this is what he wrote about that, very very simple. That the new birth or regeneration is an act of God which gives eternal life to the one who believes in Christ. As a result, what happens when someone does that? As a result, he becomes a member of God's family with the capacity and desire to please his heavenly Father. It's a new relationship. It's a brand new life. In a sense, it's like having a new life. It's being born again. How does that happen? How then are we saved? How then are we born again? The Bible says in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, that we are saved by grace through faith. And that is not of works, is not of ourselves, not of works lest any man can boast. In other words, there's nothing that we did in of ourselves to save us. The way we need to say, why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to be born again? Is because of that sin nature that each and every one of us are born with. What is sin? i like to teach it to the kids this way. Sin is everything we think, that we say, and that we do that breaks God's laws and makes God unhappy. There's a lot of, we think of the Ten Commandments, for example. We cannot keep them perfectly. We can't. We're human. We're sinners. But you know what? There's hope. The hope is this. The hope is in Jesus Christ who came to this world, who died, lived a perfect life, but who died on a cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, according to the Bible. And that is how we have salvation is through him. There is no other name among heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is through Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man or woman, or child, comes to the Father except through Him. Folks, there is no other way. And I say that passionately and convictingly. That is, Jesus, who is the only hope, the only way to God, and by having that relationship with Him, and being, in a sense, born again by trusting Him, we have a new life, a new beginning, if it were. And we must thank God for that. So that is the need for the new life. But what's the way? How does that happen? So now I I take our attention here to verse 14. Verse 14, we read this earlier, and Jesus is talking Nicodemus. Remember, he's a Jewish man who, he knew the Bible, he knew the law, he knew everything. Okay, and Jesus reminds him of a story, and he says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he talking about here? Back in the book of Numbers, in the first part of the Bible, uh, the books, the first five books of the Bible, there's the book of Numbers, chapter 21. It talked about the children of Israel who were disobedient. They rebelled, they rebelled a lot. They complained a lot in the desert, but, and God often punished them. But there was a time when they had rebelled so much against God that he had sent fiery serpents. He basically punished the children of Israel. Many were sick and many were dying. And so Moses, God told Moses to basically put a staff and put a serpent on it a bronze serpent, and when they simply looked upon that serpent, they would live. Look and live. All you had to do was simply look to the serpent, look to that, that emblem, that symbol, if you will, and live. That's all it took. There's nothing that, they didn't have to go to extra doctors, they didn't have to pay anything for it. They simply had to look and believe and trust in God. See, this is a, the serpent in, in this passage here was a picture of the Messiah, Jesus, and his work. Just as, and here's the point, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so that all men would see that even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is this talking about? What does it mean that the Son of Man, who is Jesus, what does it mean that he be lifted up? What does that mean? It's interesting that in John's Gospel, this phrase, lifted up, is mentioned three different times. And all of it points to what Jesus came to this world to do. Jesus came, said, I came to seek and to save them that are lost. Those that are going their own way. Those that are going astray. Jesus came and he came to this world to be lifted up. What does it say? John 12, verse 32 says this. Jesus said, "And I, if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. What does it mean to be lifted up? It's talking about when Jesus went to the cross. It's talking about his death. Jesus died on the cross for us. Now, a lot of times, and I see people wearing crosses as jewelry, things like that, and sure, there's a place for that, but you have to ask your question, why? Why do people wear that? Do they really know what that is? What was the cross? the cross, and we have it even here behind me. What is that What is is that actually? Remember this, that during the times of Christ 2,000 years ago, the Romans who were in control of Israel during that time, and then the region beyond, that crucifixion was a very common method of capital punishment. It was a death. When someone carried their cross, they were going to die. They were going to die for some type of crime, some type of rebellion, some type something they did against the emperor and the state. And it was actually given to those who were not uh, Roman citizens, by the way. There was a law that protected Roman citizens from that death. However, it was a gruesome death when someone would be either nailed or tied to the cross. Usually they'd be whipped and beaten. They'd be humiliated. They'd be stripped of their clothing and left on the elements. And many times it would take several days for that person to die on that cross. And yet, this is the way the Lord has chosen to redeem us by sending his son to die on a cruel, an old, rugged cross, as we sing sometimes. And yet, we cherish it. Why? It's not the cross itself, it's who was on the cross. Jesus, our Savior, who came to save us from our sins. Sometimes it wasn't the main Savior. Think of another word and I like to use it with the kids. Think of a rescuer, someone who rescued us from our sins, that we could never rescue ourselves. Think of a drowning person, they can't rest themselves. They need someone to throw them that that uh that life raft or, or or some type of system, give them a hand to pull them out, and just in our sins, we need someone to pull us out of that miry clay and set us upon a rock. We need someone who would deliver us as well. And that's why Jesus came to this world. And that's why he says, as Moses did that, said Nicodemus, going back to the story, Nicodemus, you remember that story when Moses lifted up the servant and, and guess what? People looked upon that and they were saved. Guess what? If you look to me and what I am about to do here shortly, I will die for your sins and for the sins of the whole world. And if the world would simply look to me for their hope, of this is how you are born again. This is how you were saved. And he goes on to say, look with me now in John 3, verse 15. He explains it this way. If you look upon the Son of Man being lifted up, that whosoever believeth on him, the one who was lifted up, Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. He's saying, Nicodemus, look to me. Look to me. This is what I'm about to do. And in verse 16, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is probably the, mo- the most blessed verse in the entire scripture. What is the gospel? You could pretty much summarize it in this. What is the good news? That God so loved the world. I want to make this as personal as I can, folks. We read the Bible. This is, I mean, this is, yes, this is 2000 years old, but it speaks as if it were written yesterday. But it says this, that God so loved the world. Who's in the world? You are. All right? As far as I know, you're all here in the world, right? Okay? You live here in this world. So I want you to put your name in there. For God so loved Aaron. So God so loved, you put your name there, that he gave his only begotten son. Who is that son? Who is that talking about? Jesus. Yes. That whosoever, that's back to you, put your name there, that if Aaron believes in him, and Jesus, Aaron would not perish, but Aaron would have everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? This is personal. Yes, this is a message given to Nicodemus that one night, but this is a message that's given to each and every one of you and to the whole world personally, that God so loved you and gave you His only begotten Son, Jesus. What did Jesus do for you? He lived a perfect life. He came from heaven, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. We were talking about that Christmas time. Okay, think about the Christmas solids going through your head right now. He lived that perfect life, did all these miracles, did all these great teachings. People followed him, but eventually what? He lived a perfect life and went to the cross and he died and he suffered for us. He died on the cross and he was buried. Why do we emphasize that he was buried? If someone's buried, that means they're what? Dead. That proves that he actually died. Jesus didn't just go to the tomb and he took a nap. He physically died. But guess what? God has raised him from the dead, giving us hope and res- the resurrection. Amazing that God did that. And if we simply believe this good news, that's why it's called the gospel simply means good news. This is good news for the world that he gave his only begotten that whosoever, that's you or me, believes in him, we should not perish. What does that word perish mean? I like to say this, especially when we're working with children here, that to perish means to be eternally separated from God forever. There is no hope, you're out of the presence of God. Folks, that is a frightening thing, to be eternally separate from God. But if that person does believe in Him, puts their trust in Him, has faith in Him, they will have everlasting life. Talking about everlasting life, what does that mean? Everlasting or eternal life is not just the quantity. We think of that's simply forever and ever and ever. Time will never end, and that is true, but this is not just the quantity of life, how much time there is, but also it's the quality of life. It's a new life completely. Put it this way. Folks here, when you got married, wasn't that a total change for you? Ask your spouse, right? It's good, your life is going to change. All right? When you have children, does not your life change? absolutely the things you used to do you can't do them anymore not like you used to right at least for a period of time there are things that change in this and the thing is when you enter a new relationship with jesus christ when you trust him as your savior guess what happens you become a new creature a new creation you're on a new path of life old things are passed away all things are become new it's a different quality of life it's life to the fullest it's an amazing life By the way, I don't know if I've ever met a Christian who has said, man, I just regretted trusting in Jesus. I regretted that I got saved. Think about that. This is life-changing. And this sets you on the course for heaven. Amazing when you think about that. So that's the way of the new life. It's through Jesus Christ and the cross. But I want to finish out today by talking about not just the need for new life and the way of new life, but let's talk about the assurance of new life. There's a lot of Christians, I've I've talked to many, who they just struggle with that assurance. How do I know that I really have this new life? How do I know that I'm really saved, that I'm really, as Jesus said, born again, have that new life and new upbringing? Remember this, first of all, that in Christ there is a difference between life and death. Look with me at the very end of John 3 in verse 36. The very last verse it says here, He that believeth on the Son, Jesus, hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Jesus is pretty straightforward on that. I think it's pretty amazing. So Jesus Christ is the difference between life and death. We're not talking about a physical death per se, but we're talking about spiritual death. Again, having that hope and assurance that we'll be with him in heaven or being eternally separated from him. The Bible says that there is a place called hell that's fit for the devil and his angels. Okay, so this is very, very important as we see this. But for those who have placed their trust in Christ, and I trust you have today, that in Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I actually quoted part of it earlier. It says this, that if any man or woman or child be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away. What does that mean? Old things, that's your old life. That's your old sinful life. The things that you were involved in. Let me give you a little testimony of a lady named Kim. I think I've shared briefly her testimony before. She's a a friend of ours that we uh, led to the Lord back in Tennessee when we used to live there. She came, uh, visited our church and all that, and we were able to spend some time with her. She's a Jewish lady, and uh, she was uh, just very confused about Everything in life she wanted answers, and she had been praying or actually seeking the Lord. Saying, I need you, but how do I do this? And so we were able to counsel her through the scriptures of how she can know the Lord Jesus as her personal Savior. She finally came to a point where she recognized that Jesus is the only way, and she must put her faith and trust in him for what he did for uh, her on the cross. And when she prayed and she asked Jesus to come into her life and change her, give her that new life, she looked up at us, and with tears in her eyes, Kim said this i 'm a clean woman. She has struggled so much in her life with sin and other issues in her life. she struggled in her family and her uh, her upbringing, and now she when she became a believer now, her, her life changed in that moment for her, all things were passed away, and all things were become new in Christ. we have new life. The Bible says in Romans six Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, and that as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. In other words, when someone is saved, when they put their trust in Christ, they have a new walk with the Lord. That's what it's about. Baptism, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks. By the way, if you're wondering where our baptistry is, actually underneath the piano. Don't worry, no one's going to get electrocuted. <laughs> but anyways, that's where it's at. But when someone goes into the water, it's a great picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That when he was buried, that's when he died. Under the water, is it, or he was buried. And then coming up out of the water represents the resurrection. And so even so, we walk in newness of life. It's a new direction that we go. and It's a beautiful direction as we give our heart to him. And with that comes a desire. We, first of all, we are part of a family of God. And also there is a desire. I love when I see people who understood their need for salvation, they've got saved, they are just want to do something for the Lord. They want to tell other people about it. That's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to have. In my own personal testimony, I grew up in northern Minnesota in, in Brainerd. And uh, my my parents were actually Lutheran. I was sprinkled and baptized as a baby and all that. And so I uh, my parents they they loved the Lord. They were in part of a church, but when I was about three or four years of age, my parents started going to a different church, and uh, they were invited to work out at a Bible camp out near Pillager, if you know that area up there. It's just a little bit west of Brainerd. And uh, I remember as a young child hearing the, the speaker at the camp, and I understood, even at that young age, I understood very clearly what was taught. He said that Jesus is the only way of salvation, and I understood at that age that I was a sinner and needed a Savior, and only Jesus could take care of my sin. And I remember praying and asking Jesus to come into my life and change me. I remember clearly to this day what happened. Now, you might not have been for when that happened. could have been at different times of your life. But guess what? You'll never forget that moment when your life was completely changed. The Bible says that we are transferred from darkness into light. It's like the light bulb turned on. It's like, yes, I understand it. Yes, I know God. And yes, I want to live for him. You see, when we're saying, what's the old life versus the new life? The old life is that we're bondage, we're kept in that sin. The new life, we're freed from that sin. What are we freed from? When we are saved, we are saved from three things. We're, sa- first of all, saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible says that the wages or the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're saved from the penalty of sin, that spiritual death. We're also saved from the power of sin, that sin does not have control over you that it did before. You are freed from that. So as a believer, if you sin, it's a choice to sin. Okay, very important. And then also we're saved one day from the future presence of sin. That one day when we get to heaven, we won't have to worry about sin. Could you imagine in heaven? You don't have to worry who's behind you walking down the street. You won't have to worry about someone gossiping about you at work. You won't have to worry about any of those things. Because why? You're going to be in a perfect environment. Because why? Jesus Christ is there. You'll be glorified with him. So here's the assurance of new life. In 1 John chapter 5, it says this, He that has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, on Jesus, that ye may know that you have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. In other words, these things are written, the Bible is written that you can know, have assurance, not a hope so, that I'm going to heaven. It's an expectant hope that we know Jesus Christ and that we have eternal life. All that believe on the name of the son of God. So have you believed on Christ? Have you believed on Jesus for your, your salvation? I trust you have. And when that happens, your life is changed. All things are passed away. All things are become new. what a blessing that is. I want us to remind us of the purpose of John's gospel. What we're reading here John says at the end of his book in John 20, verse 31, but these are written, these verses, that even that we just read today, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Folks, we need to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. That's that simple. What does that entail? It's simply admitting that we're sinners, knowing that Jesus, yes, that we're sinners, that we are separated from God, all of sin comes come short of the glory of God, and that believing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, that He died for my sin, He was buried and He rose again, and I believe that, that Jesus did that for me. And then by confessing that Jesus Christ is that, and that He comes into our life, and changes us. Guess what? We're changed. We are now new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a blessing that is. I want us to focus our attention now as we have this 4th of July weekend. We should be thankful again to God for the freedom and the liberty that we enjoy as we live here in the United States of America. Take time to thank God on Tuesday. Okay? Before the fireworks go out, rain or no rain, just be thankful. Amen? <laughs> okay. Okay. But through the years, many have come to America's shores fighting freedom and refuge or a new start to life. However, remember this, that the greatest freedom to be found is not in this country or any other country for that matter, but it's found in knowing Jesus Christ. In him, we have freedom and refuge and a brand new life. Truly, for those who know Jesus, old things are passed away and all things are become new. Trust in Jesus. And you'll find that a new life in Christ changes everything.